Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Speaker, we have Grigordan Prabhu today, and he is going to be talking on pure joy. Um, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, bhakti, or devotional service, is a joyful experience. So, I hope that he is going to touch upon all those aspects of how bhakti, devotional service, is a pure joy to be practiced and to be felt. So, let's give a warm welcome to Girigodhan Prabhu. And So actually, Raghunandan Prabhu is mentioning how the practice of uh, devotional service or bhakti is very joyful. But in the, uh, that's, there's a, it says it's susukam, very, very happily performed. There's a different place in the, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 18th chapter. Uh, it's a, a text number 54 that talks about a state of complete joy that uh, can be obtained uh, only actually through spiritual development. So let's take a, we'll take a look at, the, so we're going to concentrate especially on this one aspect of that verse. And it's, uh, one who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. That's the word, way Prabhupada translates this word, the prasana atma. He never laments or desires to have anything. He is equally disposed towards every living entity. In that state, he attains pure devotional service unto me. And so the, the operative word here is, is uh, prasana atma. Uh, and uh, atma means self. Powerful here. And, uh, and prasana, in this case, he says, is joyful, fully joyful. Becomes, so the, in, some, in some context, self can mean body, sometimes mind, or in this case, it means the, the one's actual self, the, the soul, becomes fully joyful. So, tell me, how many of you are feeling pretty joyful today? Quite a few. Well, in, in the Bhagavad Gita, at least according to conventional methods, Krishna is kind of, looks, has a dim view of our hopes at being joyful in this world. Um, and so he, he mentions a few different places, he says. He, he start in, in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, text 66, he says, one who is not in transcendental consciousness, so I guess many of you are in transcendental consciousness, why you're feeling joyful, can have neither a controlled mind nor steady intelligence, without which there is no possibility of peace. And how can there be any happiness without peace? And then... He says in the, in, the, in the third chapter, he mentions how another way that we're not peaceful. He says, thus the wise living entity, entity's pure consciousness, 
comes covered by his eternal enemy in the form of lust, their desire, kama is the word here, which is never satisfied and which burns like fire. In this case, uh, it's mentioned like when, when you have a fire and you add fuel to it, the fire doesn't go out, it blazes more brightly. So in this case, when we, we have desires, comma, and when we try to fulfill those desires, the, uh, well, the, the, the satisfaction is very temporary and then the desires come back stronger than ever. So in the last verse, it's very difficult to have happiness without peace, and this is one of the reasons for our lack of happiness, or lack of peace. And then he gives a whole kind of dim view of the whole material existence here in 8.15. He says, After attaining me, the great souls who are yogis in devotion never return to this temporary world, which is full of miseries, because they have attained the highest perfection. So the, the two words here that are important are this ashashvatam, temporary. Because right? you know, if, you, if you ask people you know, how long would they like to be happy for, see now you're, you're, some of you are feeling joyful, how long would you like to remain joyful? Forever. So a simple, simple answer to the simple question. Right? And so here, because, because our, our existence is, we have mortality, our, our existence is temporary. So even if you can maintain your joyfulness day after day, the time when that's going to end. And then this dukkha alayam, an alayam is it's a place, it's a place where something happens, right? And dukkha is unhappiness, misery, distress, these kinds of things. This is a place where that happens. That's that's how it's described. Um, so it's surprising that you you ask people. You know, when you read these things, you know, it's supposed to be so miserable. People don't generally seem to feel that way. No, I'm doing okay. I'm actually fairly happy. Prabhupada used to use this example. Um, and uh, I think one of, the, one of the things that's happening when I ask you if you're feeling joyful is, is that you're, you have a certain level of expectation that's, that's uh, uh, causing you to say like that. Prabhupada used to, used to, tell, used to say that you go to, into a hospital and visit a patient there, and you ask them how they're doing. So oh, I'm doing just fine. Right? And uh, but of course, what happens there is is that the the, the question really isn't you know are, are you are you doing great, but it's it's within the context of them being in the hospital. So you're saying, given the circumstances, is kind of what's what's not spoken in that question. Given the circumstances, how are you doing? Right? And so maybe they're suffering a little less pain than they were the day before. Maybe there's a little better prognosis. Right? And so the expectations are very low for how well they're going to be doing. And so if it, if, if, it's, if it exceeds expectations, then they're, they're doing fine. You know? They not really think that they're super happy there and would want to stay in that condition forever. You know? But, it, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a lowered expectation. And we've been accustomed, grown accustomed, to having a certain level of expectation. Right? If you, if you, uh, you know, the certain things that we deal with, we have the, the, the mind that gives us trouble, the desires that we can't satisfy. You know, Krishna mentions the other place that the happiness that we get right, are, are, are temporary. So not even just like our life is temporary, but the, the, the satisfaction that we get from fulfilling our desires is fleeting. We, we can experience that. Right? If, we, if we, We've all had many, many moments of happiness. So different pleasant experiences. 
where is the happiness from those experiences? Right? If even you could, say, put one-tenth of one percent of them kind of in the bank that remain with you, we'd all be joyful. Even just one thing, just how, how many times have you eaten something nice and it gave you happiness? Where does that happiness go? You feel it for some time, then it's a memory. And we have to do it again. So people will say like that, you know, it's just the way things are. We know, we know that there's, that we're mortal. We know that we're, that we're going to grow older. We know that we're going to lose the people we love as, as we grow older. We're going to have um, things that happen to us that we don't like. People are going to give us trouble. We know all these things, right? But it's just the way things are. You can't do anything about it. So why just be morose about it? Try to get whatever little happiness you can. So people will tell you. Hmm? So it's against, so the expectations are low, and so then our, our reported happiness is, is greater because of that. Hmm? So I'll submit to you that our expectations are artificially low, that things are not just the way they are, and that that's not the, the, the highest degree that we can aspire to. So we, we have a great justification to raise our aspirations and our expectations. Because when Krishna talks about being fully joyful, he doesn't mean just like, you know, for a few minutes today, a few minutes tomorrow, it's something that's continuous. It's a, a state of being, not just a momentary thing. This is a, this, this is a genuine possibility. And against that, all the other different troubles and worries and things become insignificant. Now Krishna tells us how to get it. If you notice the, the, the verse, it said in that condition or that state. So it, it's carrying over from the previous verse. So, so how do we get it? Okay, let's take a look. In the previous, previous verses, it's... it's uh, oh, anyway, let's look again. This is the one we're talking about. It says, one who is thus transcendentally situated... Okay. So that means he's, it's a continuation from the previous verses. And so the previous verses give us the key how to do it. Okay. You want to know how to do it? Here it is. So this, this is 1851 through 53. All right. Here's how you do it. Being purified by his intelligence and controlling the mind with determination, and giving up the objects of sense gratification, being freed from attachment and hatred, or attachment and aversion, one who lives in a secluded place, who eats little, who controls his body, mind, and power of speech, who is always in trance, and who is detached, free from false ego, false strength, false pride, lust, anger, and acceptance of material things, free from false proprietorship and peaceful, such a person is certainly elevated to the position of self-realization. Bhamabhuyaya kalpate, it says. So it says, in that state, then you can do this. So simple, right? right? Simples. Just a few things you have to do. False pride, lost anger, false proprietorship, be peaceful, secluded place. Luckily, there's an alternative. <laughs> Prabhupada says, in, in the purport to, to 1854, he says, 
Such a stage can be achieved by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, who preached pure devotional service in this age. And he goes on, he says a couple of, he says, he says, since God is full, a living entity who is engaged in God's service, in Krishna consciousness becomes also full in himself. And he says, because a pure devotee has no thought other than Krishna, he is naturally always joyful. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. But the, 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 the idea, oh my God, duplicate here. So the, the, the idea, though, is, is that one can, this, what was described in the, in the 51 through 53 verse is the, the process of, of meditational yoga. It says it's a jnana yogena para, as in, the, as in the verse, that somebody who's in trance, jnana yogena para, and, and performing all these other things so that they can be peaceful enough to have concentrated meditation. So what Prabhupada is indicating that instead of, of, having, uh, of, of taking up the process of jhana yoga and coming through, we can take up the process of bhakti. Uh, the process of bhakti yoga will also provide what happens in this verse. Um, now, if you're really paying attention, really carefully, you'll notice something a, a potential objection to that uh, theory. If you look at the very end, Right? One who is thus transcendentally situated and at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful, he never laments or desires to have anything. He is equally disposed toward every living entity. In that state, he, achieve, in that state he achieves, attains pure devotional service to me. So it sounds as though bhakti, first of all, right, you do the meditation. Second of all, you become joyful and then you can attain bhakti. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Well, luckily, the situation is, so the dhyana yoga process recommended in 51 through 53, it can be a precursor to bhakti. Right? It means one can transition from that to the other. But actually, it's not a prerequisite. Right? So like, you know, a precursor is you know, something that can transform into it. So if somebody practices this meditational yoga, attains this state of peace, it's very easy for them to transition to bhakti. It's very easy for them to do that. But it's not required. One can go to bhakti directly. And here's, here's what Prabhupada says in, in the sixth chapter, in text 47. In, in the, in the, it says, the, this is a purport actually. Uh, the culmination of all kinds of yoga practices lies in bhakti yoga. All other yogas are but means to come to the point of bhakti in bhakti yoga. If one is fortunate enough to come to the point of bhakti yoga, it is to be understood that he has surpassed all other yogas. Which means that the other ones aren't required. So somehow you can enter bhakti and then it's understood that the effects of the other yogas will flow from bhakti. So, so the, uh, it, it can go both ways. You can go through the, but very, very difficult right, to go through this meditational process that can make you eligible and make you likely to take the bhakti. But if you can take the bhakti directly, then these other things aren't required. And the, the joyfulness that's predicted uh, will obtain from the bhakti. And it's actually clear what he's thinking um, from his translation of this word prasana. He says, fully joyful in this verse. But other places, in other verses, Prabhupada translates it as cheerful, very much pleased, 
calm, clear, satisfied. Um, some other acharyas translated as pure or tranquil. And so compared to fully joyful, it's not so great. Right? The, the, the fully joyful is kind of at the high end of this. You know, cheerful, pleased, calm, clear, satisfied. Right. So, and so what, 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 I'll, what I'll submit to you is that it's the bhakti that turns it from calm and peaceful or satisfied and clear. If you, if you do meditation and you come to realize your own soul, then you attain this state of peace and calm and satisfaction. But with bhakti, you now introduce Krishna into the equation. And it's Krishna that causes the soul to, to experience tremendous joy. And there, there's evidence of that in, uh, in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, text 20 and 21, where it mentions, it says here, in the stage of perfect, uh, perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. It's capital S, you see, the super soul. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness realized through transcendental senses. So in, in, in that case, um, Prabhupada says, uh, in the purport, he says, this natural transcendental pleasure is the ultimate goal of yoga and is easily achieved by the execution of devotional service or bhakti. Because what's happened is, is that person in that stage of the meditation, they've gone beyond realizing themselves just as soul, but they have attained connection with the super-soul. That's why Prabhupada uses the, the capital S in the self. And that's what brings out the joy. By nature... We're self-satisfied. The soul is self-satisfied. I mean, tranquil, peaceful, fully satiated. To Krishna, that state is boring. And actually, to anyone who who knows that there's something higher, it's boring. Right now, if, if we because we are not satisfied, peace and satisfaction sound very attractive. So much of spiritual practice is directed towards becoming peaceful because we're agitated. We're unpeaceful, we're unsatisfied. And so that would seem like a very beautiful position to be in. And Krishna, he is. He's Atmarama, as described. He's fully self-satisfied. But he's discovered something better than self-satisfaction. And that's love. You see Krishna and Radha on the altar. It's love between him and his devotees. So when we come in contact with Krishna, then we can go beyond self-satisfaction to this powerful joy. I was reading recently in the, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, and I ran across a couple of things. It's, it was uh, this introduction of the book, which was, uh, it was taken from lectures that Srila Prabhupada gave on the Chaitanya Charitamrita back in like, 1967. It was, it was in New York still, in the very first temple. 
And he, he said some, he, and a couple of things that really struck me. He, say, he said, through Lord Chaitanya, you can become a friend of Krishna, where there is no limit. You can become a friend, not in adoration, but in complete freedom. You can also be related to God as his father. This is Srimad Bhagavatam philosophy. This is full freedom. Because generally when we're, when we're dealing with, with the Supreme Lord, right? He says there's adoration. You're the Supreme. But he says here in full freedom that he's your friend, acting like your friend. And then he goes on. And he, sa he says, how? He says, by service. The son demands and the father supplies. You don't take the supply, you give. Right? Usually we're approaching God, do you please give me something? He says, you can become like the parent. He says, you don't take the supply, you give. Krishna's mother, Yashoda, said to the Lord, here, eat or you'll die. Eat nicely. Krishna will depend on your mercy. This is such a uniquely high level of friendship and you can believe that you are his father. Now he says, he says, Notice that Krishna will depend on your mercy. So Krishna is all-powerful. Right? He, can, he, can, he doesn't need anybody to feed him. He doesn't even have hunger if he doesn't want it. But if, if he wants to eat, he can immediately produce anything he likes. Right? But he says, if the, if the love is so strong and the desire to serve him is so great, that he will take the opportunity then to let his mother take that role. You will feed me. I won't, he, won't, he doesn't take care of his own needs. And he becomes dependent on his mother. He says he becomes dependent on your mercy. <laughs> because Krishna likes to feel this feeling of powerlessness. Right? It's a special kind of love when, you, when you're a dependent. A little child and your mother cooks for you. It's a beautiful kind of love. So he can experience that if that devotion is that strong. So this is the nature of Krishna. We can get a little hint. It was, it was just, it was, it was you know, amazing me to think about that. How Krishna, you know, he is, it says he's the supreme controller, Parama Ishvara Krishna, Satchidananda Vigra, the cause of all causes the controller of everything, the creator of everything. In one sense, everything that exists is Krishna and his energy. There's no separate thing than Krishna. He's fully independent, can do whatever he likes. Nobody can compare to him. And we are so small. We like to think that we are somehow significant, but we are actually all already know better. That we're very tiny, and compared to Krishna, very, very, very tiny. What do we have to give to him? Of what use to Krishna could we possibly be? But here's Krishna. He wants to have a relationship with us, even to that level, that we are friends without adoration or freedom, or that we may supply something for Krishna. Not even other people in this world care much for us, so many of them anyway. Right? And here's Krishna, the most wonderful. 
But everything that's amazing, everything that's beautiful, everything that's attractive, everything that, that's, that's extraordinary, Krishna says in this world he, he produces from a spark of his splendor. So we can only just imagine how wonderful Krishna is. And he's found us here, far away from him. And each and every one of us, he wants to have come back with him. And to have be connected with him. You know, right? we, we, sometimes we try to make friends with people, right? and they don't want, to, they don't want it to happen. Right? And Krishna is being proactive. He's come to, he's appeared in this world, he's sitting on the altar. He's given us Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. And he sent his devotees to chase after us when we weren't interested. So he's proactive. So can you understand how much, how, in what high regard he holds us? And how fortunate we are to be in that position. He doesn't say, come, you know, I'm powerful, now you have to bow down before me, and otherwise, you know, otherwise, you know, it's going to be bad for you. He doesn't require that. People in this world, they want praise because they need, they need to be justified. They want to feel that they're somebody. Underneath, we know that we're not. So they want some confirmation of their power. Krishna is not insecure. <laughs> he doesn't have any need to be. He is, he is, he is everything. So he has, no, he has no reason to need people to flatter him. He doesn't need flattery. He doesn't need us for that sort of thing. He's fully self-satisfied. But what he needs us for, what he wants us for. Um, Garuda Prabhu, you know, Prabhupada's disciple that comes here, he's a Sanskrit scholar. And in the, uh, also in the 18th chapter, there's the verse where, where Krishna says that he's revealing this knowledge to, to Arjuna because he's his dear friend. And it's ishtasi is the, is the word. And, and Garuda says that it is ishta is, is the form, uh, is one of the many words that, that designate love in Sanskrit. But it says it has the connotation of a certain longing. It's the verse just before he says, you know, that you, you bow down to me, worship me, remember me, fix your mind to me. And so he, he says that, and he says it'll be good for you. Right? But he says there's a, a notion there of a longing. That, that, our, that, that Krishna wants Arjuna to take up the path because he wants to be, he wants to be connected with Arjuna. He wants that relationship to, to open up again. That's why Krishna is here in the heart. So we're here in this world because we wanted, we didn't want there to be a supreme and we to be small. Prabhupada says that we first thought our first raga and dvesha attachment and aversion was why does Krishna have to be God? Why does he have to be everything? And why can't I be somebody? That the, right, so some, sometimes if you know, somebody is just so great, people are envious of that. You know? then who, then, but I'm not worth anything. Right? If somebody is so great, what's my value? So, so we, we, we decided to be something on our own. And Krishna respected our decision and has given us that opportunity and he respects our decision, but he comes with us. See, why is he in the heart? 
the super soul does so many functions, but Krishna could make those functions happen without him being there personally. He's all-powerful. But he's with us. He came with us. And he's waiting to, just for the time when we begin to change our minds. And he helps us. So can you imagine? If you're in relationship with somebody, and they decide they want to break off their relationship, many times our feelings will be hurt. We'll say, okay, we don't need them. And Krishna certainly doesn't need us in that sense. Hmm? But what does he do? His love doesn't stop. He comes with us, each and every one of us. And believe you, believe, believe you me, he knows us from the inside out. Right? Sometimes if people love us, we may feel a little bit of insecurity somewhere inside, thinking that if they only knew what I really was like, would they really like me as much as they do? But Krishna knows us from the inside out. He, know, he knows us from many, many lifetimes. And he's right there. And he, in, in his incarnation as Lord Chaitanya, he even comes after us. And Krishna, he says, right, you just surrender to me, and then everything is, no matter, what you, who, no matter who you are, what you've done, he, he said, anybody, you surrender to me, and then we're, 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 our relationship is back on track. He didn't say, oh, okay, you know, but not you, because you were just too bad. He said, everybody. He doesn't set any, any preconditions. You just surrender to me. You just want to have the relationship happen. But in his form of Lord Chaitanya, he's actively pursuing us. Prabhupada says that, uh, that the devotees of the Lord are transcendentally more merciful than the Lord because they know the Lord's desire. So Krishna, he respects our decision. But the devotees of Krishna, including Lord Chaitanya, they almost crossed the line. They said, come on, why don't you? Why don't you chant Hare Krishna? You have people like Palaka Varu coming out, every, on the, sitting on the street corners every time. You have uh, people that are here because of that also. They come, they say, come, take it up. Please take this prasadam. Krishna is proactive. So it's just a question that if we can somehow have a little faith in Krishna, and Krishna is accessible, it's not, just, it's not just that we can, that we just have to believe this, but we can experience Krishna. We can begin to experience him. Prabhupada says it comes, right, the, the sense that works the best is through the ears. He's there in his name. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare. You just hear that, and he's there. He's there in the deity form. He's there in, in, in the form of prasadam. You can hear about Krishna in, in Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. And we can feel his presence. It's not just a, not just a belief system. We can experience it. We can experience something of who he is and that he is. And we can understand how, look, he's, he's making himself present to me. 
If we, uh, sometimes I ask, ask people just just imagine, you know, say say there's somebody in this on this earth that they admire the most, and if that person would come and want to meet them and speak with them and talk with them and spend time with them, how would that make you feel? feel so good. You'd be humbled by that experience. They're so kind. Well, Krishna is, you know, many, 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 many times more wonderful than whoever it was that we would have otherwise had in mind. And he's not only responding to us, but he's proactive. He's coming after us. He's inviting us. If we had just a shred of confidence in Krishna's existence and a shred of confidence in his love for us, we would be jumping around like crazed people. Now we say, oh, that sounds nice. You can go and be with Krishna in the spiritual. That sounds nice. Sounds nice. But it's worth a little more excitement than that. So we have to build our, our, our faith and our experience and our confidence in Krishna. So if we, if we can, so we can understand Krishna even a little, we can begin to develop an extremely powerful type of gratitude that can gradually help us to rise above all varieties of unhappiness and bring us to this state of pure joy. If we, if we, we should be so, so grateful to Krishna. Right? That's what happens when you, when you're, you're humbled. Right? Actually, this is, this is the, the real reason why devotional service takes place. It's not that Krishna says, "I'm the most powerful. You have to serve me because I'm superior to you." And I force you to do it. You have to submit to superior force, right? We, you know, we have to, we have to submit to the, to the laws of the government, or they'll arrest us. You know. We're used to that kind of stuff. You listen to the boss or you're fired. Right? We're used to that kind of stuff, Submit, having to submit to superior force. And Krishna doesn't do that. Krishna gives himself to us first. And the natural thing is when you feel gratitude, when somebody does something wonderful for you, when somebody treats you so nicely, when somebody shows you love, the nature of gratitude is to give something back. It's, you don't even have to think. You want to do something in return. That's where, where devotional service is supposed to come from. It's a debt of gratitude. One that be for, for those who are advanced devotees, it's one that's very urgent. Because the, the more advanced you become, the more you understand Krishna the more you realize what you've received. Now our, our understanding of Krishna is kind of sketchy. So it's, yeah, that's nice. It's nice that Krishna is existing. and It's nice that Krishna will accept us. And it's nice. But the advanced devotees, they know Krishna more and more. And their gratitude then is practically explosive. So the we can begin, right, we may not be able to have full joy all the time, but if we think about this and make 
had a habit to try to keep connecting in Krishna in, in terms of service, in terms of hearing, in terms of all the various ways that he makes himself available and increase our faith in his existence and his goodwill. And then beyond self-satisfaction blossoms this a tremendous joy and it's open to us. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Comments or questions? So one thing that I can relate to your speech you just gave right there, um, the nature of greed is to take. Mm. The nature of love is to give. Mm. So, say you're at a grocery store, you're a manager, uh, the first person comes in and then you go like, oh, I feel, I feel generous today, Je take everything for free. <laughs> That's actually greed because if <laughs> this is a, this is actually a, Sort of like a scam. So, basically. So, basically, what they are doing is making sure they will come again multiple times so they get more income. That's greed. It's not love. It's greed. But... Yeah, it's marketing. But it's love... Good, good sales practice, yeah, indeed. But for love, it's it's completely different. So love is actually like this person. There's this person. He he's he's begging on the road. He's a beggar on the road. You stop your car and give something to him. That's love because you're because you're giving it out of heart. You're not taking in any money. You're not trying to make them come back come back to any place. You're just giving it. That's love. And and you're giving it for a good use. That's love. Yeah, with with the difference between sometimes it's called kama or lust or, or kama. And love is just as you said, right? That, that for, for karma, we desire something for ourselves. And so a lot of things we call love in this world, you know, we, we say, oh, the other person checks off all these boxes, check off, and they'll make me happy. Hmm? So there, there, there's a strong self-interest there. But love means that you see value in the other. And therefore, you know, we have a, a saying or in English, it said, you love somebody enough to let them go. All right? So that you want their happiness, even if you're not included. Because you see value in them. So Krishna sees value in us. We should see value in Him. And if we know that Krishna sees value in us, shouldn't we see value in each other? 
can we really contradict Krishna? <laughs> yeah, that's a nice point. Thank you. Uh, Prabhu, my question is related to the Dhyana Yoga process and the Eightfold uh, mm. Steps. Mm. Would you say that those steps uh, help, are for those that, that can't really get out that well out of the offensive stage, would it be good to only chant Japa or practice some other type of meditation? And, and japa and to develop the ability to serve Krishna properly without offense well it's, it's uh, you know, the holy name itself is complete you know, if we like you know. um, there was a there was a, a, a story in uh, a, a book by Bhakti Thakur called the Prema Pradipa and it was a uh, stories of, of uh, it was based on the the Losanga of Babaji's with Jagannath Das Babaji and, uh, and, and one of the younger Babaji's asked the senior person, he said that, that you're telling us that bhakti is self-sufficient, that you don't need anything else, no other, other practices of bhakti. So if you practice bhakti, everything else is accomplished. He says, but I had this problem. He said, when I first started to take up bhakti, I couldn't control my mind and senses very well. So I took up the process of, of Ashtanga Yoga. And it helped me. And they said, now I don't need it anymore. I'm, I'm fine. So... I have some doubt about whether it's really self-sufficient or not. And uh, the answer that the, the elder Babaji said, you must not have had some good association. So, so bhakti is, is, is self-sufficient. You know? it's, just, it's just a question of, you just simply hear, Prabhupada says it's real simple, you just hear the name. You know? And if you feel, so this is something you can admit, if you feel that you see that Krishna is appearing before you in, in his name, that means he has some regard for you. And that means he must have regard for others. Like usually when we're criticizing others, when we feel offensive, it's because we feel insecure ourselves. So one of the things we have to do is we have to realize that Krishna cares for us, even in our current condition. Krishna accepts us, we should accept ourselves. And we want to improve, obviously. But, uh, uh, just to add to your discussion, mm. that boss, boss had a power to hire you, fire you. Mm. Um, the the power of boss is compared to Krishna's power is nothing. Yes, you see that's. But still, Krishna is willing to accept as a friend. Yes, and yes. even though he's explaining to Arjun in a very nice way, polite way, kind manner. Uh, up to 18 chapters, mm. but still he is not forcing Arjun to accept. That's right. That's so right. he, Krishna is saying, Iti te jnanam akhyatam gohyada gohyatram maya vimrasya esa asay sena yatha ichasi tatha kuru. So still, mm. after explaining so much, still he is giving Arjun so much freedom. Yeah. You do as you like. Yeah. That Ichha. you use yeah. your brain, analyze what I said, and then you do what you think is right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. No boss will be like that. No king will be yeah. like that. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't say, you idiot. I'm God. <laughs> do what I say. Although, <laughs> ultimately Krishna says, yeah. so do that, like. come to my shelter. Yeah. You know, yeah. you do come to me and yeah. I will take care of you. Yeah. So yeah. this is wonderful. No boss, no king, no dictator will be like Krishna. So, thank you. It's beautiful.
what what can we do to serve without expecting anything in return in that moment when you sometimes you do it without even uh, meaning to you just it's just kind of natural you kind of serve expecting something in return what can we do in that moment well so we can we can begin to consider how we already have everything Right? If we have the opportunity to do a little service for Krishna in some way, we have Krishna, we have everything. But in any case, if, if, if that helps you to do service, <laughs> you can begin that way. Right? You can think that Krishna will be kind to me in some way. Do this. That's okay. But really, we, sh- we should be thinking right, that, that, that this is just the fact that Krishna is existing and that he cares for us that then it's, a, it's, a, it's not something that we're doing to get something, but it's something that we sh- we're doing in reciprocation for what we've received. It's out of gratitude. So we should try to think about that. Because that that, when, we, when we think in terms of receiving something, we're thinking in terms of lacking, that I'm lacking something. Actually, we're all, we can't imagine our good fortune, each and every one of us. Um, look, Krishna, we, have, we, we don't know how many lifetimes we've had. Okay, and we've had so many different desires, some concrete, some we've just imagined. Oh, I wish this could be like this. Yeah. I wish the world could be like this. I wish I could attain this. I wish I could be this. Right. And nothing we've ever dreamed up in all of our different lifetimes even comes close to what we have in Krishna. Yeah. So we've had you know, all of all of our desires that we've ever had are just insignificant compared to what we've received. So if we begin to appreciate that more and more, that's just easier just to serve out of gratitude and out of joy. But somehow or other, get in contact with Krishna. <laughs> okay? If you, if you can't go that far, then some, and then he'll grow on you. Right? You know, so if you can only go there thinking that you need, need something, then go there. Krishna says that in, in, in the Bhagavatam. If you have all desires or no desires, desires for liberation, you serve me. So if, you know, if that's what it takes, do it. But somewhere in the back of your mind, think about that. That we've already received everything. What do we need? So let's give a warm applause to Giri Gautam Prabhu.